0: So when I think about why it's been enjoyable and fun, I I think it's just because I've given myself the freedom to, to go about it the way that I think is the most fun and the most creatively satisfying.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich.
2: And I'm Olivia Kane.
0: Welcome to the weekly
1: Typographic.
2: Our weekly episodes talk about type and design news, but we've got a bonus episode for you today. We're chatting with a designer that's innovating the field through education and their practice.
1: It's going to be fun. Let's jump in.
2: Hey, everyone. This week, we're interviewing James Edmondson. James is an Oakland, California-based type designer and runs Oh No Type Co., an independent foundry that releases fonts of exceptional quality and substance. James studied graphic design at the California College of the Arts and is also a graduate from the Royal Academy of Arts Type Media program in the Netherlands. James is very involved with the type community. In 2018, he co-founded Future Fonts, the first of its kind platform that distributes fonts in progress. And he has taught at various institutions like Type at Cooper West, Type West, and CCA. He recently started the podcast, Oh No Radio, which we're big fans of here at The League. And on it, he talks shop with other talented designers in the industry and shares stories from his type design experience. Welcome, James.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so impressed, Olivia, that you did that whole spiel perfectly. You didn't hiccup or stutter or mispronounce anything. Doing that on my podcast, five tries at least. And I'm so glad I, I don't oh my make God. myself do it live because <laughs> it would just be a disaster. I always, I don't I know. Mean, that was impressive.
2: I Thank you. I feel like I do it live to force me to know that I don't have five takes. Like if I knew I had five takes to do that, I would definitely have been messing it, up at some point ex- you know
0: exactly and it, it captures the robots. energy you know it's like <laughs> recording to tape in the studio when musicians go and they're like okay pressure's on it's kind of like you don't want to be the one to jack it up and it leads to a more <laughs> lively performance we could say
2: well i'm i'm glad that you That's know it's it, it happened and, and thanks for that because well you have your own podcast show let's yeah, not, talk about what you've been getting into
0: it's not easy it's a grind it's uh i was kind of starting this because i just it was just an idea kicking around in my head for a little while i was like well how hard could it be you know and i will say to start it walk in the park like it was probably two hours of of Mm. work that i actually put into this thing and (laughs) then it just kind of materialized you know in a way that like could get on streaming platforms and, and people could go and listen to it and stuff. I was like, this is so easy now. I couldn't believe it. And now I'm in this thing of trying to do an episode <laughs> every week. And uh, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. There's some scheduling stuff, you know, there's some research. You got to kind of figure out the, the guest. And, and so I'm only really talking to people that I, I know on some level already but it's a grind. I was, uh, I was surprised. Now I have to like go and edit the conversations, you know. But I'm a, I'm a moron, and I'll say something, or I'll say something inappropriate, or, or something that can be misconstrued the wrong way, and then I gotta go back and fix it. And yeah, it's a nightmare. It's going horribly. Mm. And uh, I would say, that, yeah, just don't listen to it. Just do not encourage me, so I can. I can be excused (laughs) from this hell that I have created for myself uh, and just let it all go. Because at the end of the day, you know, I'm supposed to be making fonts here.
2: From the listener's perspective, it is very enjoyable and very insightful. And, like, I think it is bringing a lot, even though you just talked it down for, like, two minutes. I need to bring it back up after that.
1: I mean, besides the work that goes into it and the work that it takes to be consistent about it, like, what was the impetus for it? What was, what's
0: like the thing That's that you are trying to question. do with I don't know podcast? if I even thought about it that much. I was just kind of like, there's, there's ideas that I, I kind of wanted to talk about. Okay, for instance, I'm a huge John Mayer fan. I love John Mayer. And you know what? I think he's an incredible musician and songwriter. So he goes on some interview thing and he starts talking about Fonts and he's—I uh, don't know. Maybe you covered this on <laughs> on the weekly typographic yep. before. I'm not sure.
2: We briefly talked about it, okay. but I'm curious what your take is on the situation. I, th-
0: I thought it was tight. I was like, "This is something that if time. I had a podcast, I would—I would love to talk about and and kind of, you know. Then it's tied to time and in a sort of cool way. And I just didn't really have a great medium to ramble on about this stuff that you know probably no one cares about but maybe someone does so yeah i mean the other thing if i'm just being like totally blunt is i'm trying to market my company so i i want i just want to have stuff coming mm. out normally and it's Too hard when all I have are fonts, you know, like fonts take too long. So you got to do something that happens a little bit more frequently (laughs) and is easier to (laughs) produce than a typeface. I've been thinking about that in a couple of Mm. different ways, but a podcast is great to just say, hey, we're still a type foundry. We're still here. We're putting out stuff, you know, occasionally, but like we exist, we exist. Like saying that over and over, I think that's essentially what marketing is. And, and so that's a shitty idea. You know, that's like being a pest essentially. But that's probably a useful
1: thing for people listening to hear you say, because uh, I'm sure a lot of people out there are freelancers, whether it's type design or graphic design or something else, you know, and, and for a lot of people, a project only comes along once in a while, or you can only talk about it every once in a while. And, I think a lot of people feel like they need permission to talk more and have things to talk about. You're over here saying, I don't know. I just put things out. Keeps me top of mind.
0: Yeah. Well, yes, I just, I just want to be a part of the conversation, you know, basically like when people are talking about, if there's some imaginary conversation that happens in my head sometimes is some random designer in another part of the world. Saying at their firm or agency or whatever it is, like, Oh, have you seen any fonts that kind of could work for this project, whatever way? So then that person has to kind of go back in their memory and say, Oh, I don't know. Uh, I've seen this or I've seen that. So you just need to be in front of people. Like the problem of every small business is obscurity, you mm-hmm. know? So, how do we make ourselves a little bit less obscure that's that's all i'm trying to do with the marketing end of ono is come out of obscurity all the while remaining like a super tiny boutique foundry you know that's that's what we are but trying to uh put food in the my family members faces basically <laughs> and that's the goal here trying i want my kids to be able to go to a college of their choosing and not worry about the tuition there that's a financial goal it's a pretty concrete and by the time you know 18 years from now or or, uh, 15 years from now who knows what astronomical tuitions there will be for for us to pay it'll it'll just be like three hundred thousand dollars a year or something like that so I gotta hit the gas, man. <laughs> I want my kids to have the option to go to like a sick art school, mm-hmm. you know, if they want to. Um, or you know, they can they can do whatever they want if they don't want to go to school, whatever. But I just want the option for them. So I have these kind of concrete financial goals that then steer the ship in this way. And I think, all right, well, I need to make this much money, maybe but it's kind of flexible. So how do we, how do we get there? And how do we do it in a cool way? You know, I'm the pest. I don't want to be just like the annoying sign flipper, like, Shouting in your face all the time. Buy my stuff. Yeah. Buy my stuff. Buy but my I stuff. will be that person. I mean, I also think you're producing
2: <laughs> content that is like also educational. Even if you're saying, "Oh yeah, exactly. it's, it's marketing." At the end of the day, you're having really interesting conversations. You had that interesting conversation with Eric who about the crazy potential future of like crowdsourced funding for fonts, which was like majority of that conversation was over my head. But like that's. That's fascinating. Same. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you felt that too.
0: <laughs> so anyways, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> you know, this is the the new snake oil of the day or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, there, there is legitimacy to it as well. And, and we shouldn't just dismiss it.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, that was... That was fascinating. I skew definitely on the skeptic end. And so I was coming into this like listening as like a hostile listener, being like, mm, I don't know. I don't know about this, but then. I,
0: I, I knew you'd be there. I knew we would get plenty of people. And there were honestly people like that who probably didn't even bother to listen too, which mm-hmm. is totally fine. You know, people complaining about the environmental impacts of, of Bitcoin mining or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I understand. And, and Eric came in with those sorts of qualms or, or worries as well, too. But um, sure. the the big Im- important thing, I think, is, like, I just kind of wanted to talk to that guy for uh, a long time. And um, he's from Southern California. So I'm from the central coast of California. And we have a kind of similar uh, eye on Californian vernacular design stuff like mm. that or uh, maybe we appreciate some similar things and stuff like that, but the the dude is um, super, super smart, and is just, like, on another planet in a in a cool way.
2: Yeah, definitely felt like that. Um, you know, I think it's, like, pretty interesting. At the start of this talk, you're pretty comfortable diving into being like, I want to make money for this concrete financial goal, which is, like, very admirable, too. And I also think it's, like, in a world that we enter as like young aspiring designers we don't think about making money at the end of the day we're like oh we didn't go to school for business like we are going to school to like be the best type designer be the best graphic designer and all that and i think that like when then we get older and like pragmatism hits in and it's like Actually, really important that we are discussing some of the financial stuff and about making money, so more people can have access to making money off of type design or off of graphic design. Like if we if we don't talk about it, right?
0: What? I I was just gonna say I love I love talking about this stuff because it's a it's you're right. We're we're kind of shunned from thinking about it as designers, or mm-hmm. or there's something not cool about it, or cool move did, did you so i'm sorry for that but anyways yes it, but it's true like it, it's a it's kind of a social taboo uh in a lot of ways which i think is totally stupid like what a what a ridiculous thing to make taboo that's just only going to hurt people or really the the bummer about it is that wealthy people stay super super wealthy and the um Lower earners can't break through, mm. which is uh, just a, a massive, massive problem. So I think one way we can attack that is to just talk super plainly about money. We don't need to make it bad to have financial goals or uncool. It's probably pretty American to like have clear-cut financial goals in a way. Mm-hmm but it's also like in other countries maybe your your needs are a little bit better met with um some of the social services that are provided like how finland always comes out number 1 when you rank worldwide yeah. happiness or something and then they're like yeah. okay well why is that and it's because you know there's all these government programs that actually work so that mm-hmm. people's basic needs are always going to be met if they get fired from their job or whatever you know so um We don't have that over here, so we have to try and take care of ourselves uh, as best we can. And having a family was the thing that just totally turned my world upside down and fundamentally changed how I think about money. And um, yeah, it's become a a way bigger, bigger topic for me because it was something that was giving me a lot more anxiety than I was used to. Like I got married and bought a house and had a kid in one year. And this was a very pivotal year, and <laughs> I, I had to kind of figure some stuff out. So I got super into subculture called financial independence. Have you ever heard of this? I mean, in general, but I don't like what is the subculture there? Yeah, well, it's the. The real like, long-term for it is financial independence retire early or FIRE. You, they use the acronym FIRE. And there's a bunch of subreddits about it. And there's a million podcasts and, and blog posts and stuff ab- about this idea of living super frugally, if you can, and saving all of your money. and Or uh, a lot of people try and save 50% or more of your income, which is yeah. pretty aggressive by our standards and then trying to retire as, as soon as you can so you can spend the rest of your life doing the stuff that you kind of want to do. So a, a big kind of writer in this field is this guy called Mr. Money Mustache. And so I got into his kind of blog post. It's so stupid. It's like they all have silly, silly names. But so Then I started thinking about all this retirement stuff and getting very turned on to the idea of early retirement. And I I would hear like oh but you like your job so much and um, it's true I totally do love my job I feel super lucky to have this job but worrying about money is just killer it's horrible for my mental health it's terrible for my physical health mm. I do not want to spend the rest of my life worrying about money so how do we how do we like beat the game early, you know, kind of became the question I was trying to think about. And then you learn about all these other people that have done exactly that. It's like this miracle thing. So how much do I like my job now? I love it. How much would I like my job if I didn't have to make money at Mm. it? Like, that's such an interesting idea. What would you, what would you be working on in your retirement? So I started thinking about that a lot. And I don't know. I'm, I'm still kind of there. Obviously I'm not retired, but in the last couple of years, the business has become more successful and I've been working less to be totally honest. And I, I love working less. Like I think it's outrageous to be working a 40 hour work week. It's just, it's for the birds, man. And I don't, I'm not down with it. I, I got other things to do uh, or other things that I'm kind of interested in doing. So, um, I don't want to burn out on type design either, so I'm just trying to go at a sustainable pace in all this.
2: Very wise. Like, it's I've seen oh No get a lot more visibility just from you know some of our listeners talking about you, and in general, I, me and Micah have been a fan for quite some years now, and you know I see your fonts getting used like more and more every day that certainly has to say something about like the success of Ono. Oh you know, what advice would you be giving or have you gotten um, that has really helped you either on the creative side or the business side of Ono?
0: Oh I don't know, I, I'm the youngest of six boys. And so my whole life has just been a constant pummeling of advice. <laughs> and I've gotten so much advice in my life and I, you know, actively seek it out, too. Mm-hmm. So trying to think about the things that have really been helpful for me is to do it the way you want to do it. When Conan O'Brien got kicked off his show the first time, he said something along the lines of, like, you know, I got to do this show for this amount of years, and I got to do it my way. I was like, well, what does that mean to do something your way like what kind of rules are you going to ignore what sort of things do you want to hang on to and so when i think about why it's been enjoyable and fun i i think it's just because i've given myself the freedom to to go about it the way that i think is the most fun and the most creatively satisfying and also you know, hopefully the most profitable too, because it's a business in the end. I don't want to just squeeze it for every dime that it's worth and, you know, put annoying like newsletter forms as pop-ups on my website or, or, you know, we talk about doing stuff like that, just like how the marketing gross factor. And I I don't want to turn that up to 10 or anything. But I want it to work and yeah, I want, to, I want to keep doing it my way, which is kind of tricky when you start to think about it because just you have all this respect for other type designers that have like done it the way or like kind of played mm-hmm. by the rules. And so all those conventions you can choose to kind of go along with and I think we go along with a few of them and a few of them we kind of choose to ignore. But Like what? You know, I mean like you know what, what, what do you think that
1: you do follow the path on that like other people are following and what do you I think, think you
0: break? There's probably conventions around like how much you can release, you know, how often you can put things out hmm. and what what your kind of quality standards are for those releases. And you get into this because you just love it. It's like your thing that you adore. And like each typeface is like your little baby. And then you go to school because you want to get as good as you possibly can and just be like the best possible practitioner of the craft that you possibly can. And all the while in school, the, the overall message is you are terrible. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like the only, the only way you can learn is to become aware of all of kind of your flaws uh so you come out of school just thinking like god to do anything good takes uh, just a herculean effort Mm -hmm. and it's like impossible and so if if i start um just churning things out you know casually what would people think of me then you know they would say i'm just trying to make a quick buck or "I, i don't care about quality or like i'm really not that good of a designer and it It's kind of an ego thing, you know, Mm -hmm. too. So I think I was subscribing to that more in the early days. And then um, when we had Loretta, my first kid, I was like, I got to (laughs) start churning some stuff out here. I had all these half-finished things. So I think in 2018 or 2019, like I just hit the gas on releases. And I was just going for it. And I did not care at all if someone said, Hey, this thing that you put out it's not perfect or um, hey, you just put something out um, last month. How could you possibly have something else ready to go? Like I just paid that stuff no mind and um, it was really liberating, I think. I have to ask, to like
1: were people actually saying that to you or you were like seeing people say that on the internet somewhere? Oh,
0: it's it's all imaginary. Yeah, that's it's that was I mean all that's completely <laughs> Completely made up in my head. Yeah, there's, I mean, maybe these conversations are happening between two or three random type designers <laughs> on in some podcast. other part of the world. But like, what what difference does it really make? And so, yeah, you're absolutely right to kind of call bullshit on that. But these kind of voices of imaginary people are a real, real factor. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't really talk about it that much but for for everyone we're battling these things on a daily basis i think
2: Mm -hmm. i mean you've in general are I'm sure someone that a lot of young type designers are looking up to. There's just the success of Oh No from the past like six years or so of just releases happening consistently and you know people really taking to them very well. Then there's kind of the success of your early career when you're doing stuff with lost type and like i didn't even realize you designed wisdom script that i was using several years ago until like today and i was like oh my god james was designing it back then and you were designing in an undergrad I did it. and uh, yeah i and did he, it
0: in one week in college <laughs> oh was, my god it was for, it was for I know, a school I, assignment i just put it together in a, a matter of days and uh, it uh, somehow caught on Which was kind of embarrassing, you know, when I look back on it now I see all the errors and stuff in it But really it taught me that like this was a viable career path and it allowed me to quit my job at the time So it was huge.
2: Yeah, I mean that's incredible and I think people like see your path and they're like, oh my god It's basically just highlight reel like there's a win after a win after a win and I think like something That is something I even see so like For those young type designers that are like, wow, that's so aspirational, but like, I don't even know how I could get there. You know, what is the hardest part of your experience, like being in the creative field so far?
0: For sure, dealing with clients, I would say, and and doing the kind of freelance thing. The the whole client relationship is, and, and not taking things personally is something I never graduated from. So yeah that has been a struggle it continues to be a struggle it's so much of a struggle that i just opt out completely now (laughs) i uh, i'm not taking freelance work i can't do it sometimes i'll kind of entertain the idea and i almost always uh regret it to be totally honest it does lead to interesting work and interesting ideas for new typefaces so that's a, a kind of tricky thing to say goodbye to. And it's also good money or can be lucrative. So that's hard to say goodbye to too. But those those two things aren't good enough to make client work worth it for me at this point in my life. And I know that there are the Jeremy Mickles of the world that are just absolutely crushing the custom font game. You know, mm-hmm. just knocking it out of the park on repeat <laughs> and more power to them. But going back to this idea of doing it your own way, mm. I think that's my path. Mm-hmm. So for, for a lot of that stuff, I've, um, you know, I'm obsessed with the band Wolfpack and we've done a custom typeface for them. And I've, I've really like studied the band as a model small business in a way too. Fascinating. Because they have done it their own way and they played by like no one's rules and they just sold out madison square garden or you know like a year and a half ago wow pre-pandemic of course so there are kind of these solutions to to going about it uh your own way and it is a struggle and it is a grind but Let's back off the client work and just see if you can make it go of it. So I could probably make be making a little bit more money with that stuff, mm-hmm. um, but it's not it's not worth it for me. If I make ten bucks from a font sale or ten bucks from a client job, the ten bucks from a font sale is gonna make me so much happier every time yeah. I've seen it. Well, see, play out I mean, thousand times. That's super interesting to me because I have also
1: had a mixed uh, a mixed bag of emotions with freelance work in my life but it's not really like ten dollars from a font sale or ten dollars from a client right it's like maybe ten dollars from a font sale and a client saying I'll give you ten thousand
0: sure maybe but the thing that I've kind of been opening up myself to is doing more corporate ish typefaces you know like now our typeface Degular is probably making up like 30% of our revenue, mm. which is oh. like, it was bonkers to me because we <laughs> went like five years without having a Degular, you know, without having like a number one seller in a way. Mm-hmm. So once you have something that can actually be sold to corporations, it's it's not impossible to get five digit font sales, you know, it's not doesn't happen a lot and uh, i'm trying to manifest some more in my life but it's uh no but that's interesting on
1: multiple levels because uh a i think a lot of aspiring type designers maybe don't give enough thought to the corporate game like selling a font to corporations rather than making a font custom for corporations
0: so that's an interesting notion well, some some do, some don't. I don't. I don't know. I th- I think plenty do. Like you will see every year, there are more Futura and Helvetica knockoffs that will come out, and those are all poised to be corporate bangers. Mm. You know what I mean? I use the phrase corporate bangers <laughs> way too much in my head. <laughs> I don't know how often I say it out loud. It's like oh shoot, I get to say yeah. it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs>
1: Well, so the other the other interesting part exactly. of what you said though is that like you went five years without that heavy hitter, that like number one yeah, box office stupid. hit. And that <laughs> A, I'm sure like that meant putting out a ton of stuff where you were hoping that maybe that was gonna be a thing. Like this was gonna be a hit, this was gonna be a oh, hit, this was gonna oh. be a hit. And it also means that you had the patience Every to time. like wait long
0: enough. For one of them to actually be a hit. Yeah, I have that thought 100% of the time in my type design process. Like, this is going to be the greatest thing. that, And it's 100% delusional. (laughs) I I vividly remember having that with Hobo. (laughs) Which is so silly to think back on. Like... I was like, Oh, this is great because like, there's actually a lot of companies that are using hobo classic, the normal one. And once they see mine come out and see that it's like noticeably better, like that, that'll be all these sales that just kind of happen right away. Mm. And of course that didn't happen. I'm embarrassed to even say that (laughs) thought out loud, but every typeface I have some form of that delusion, uh, which is it's good to be kind of propelled and, and, and be your own cheerleader in that way. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's delusional or whatever. Because yeah, it helps I've you been, keep I've going. just been waiting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It it makes you excited about the thing that you're working on. All right, like, no, all but I have to ask, I start I, especially considering
1: okay. uh, how you described freelance, like, When you released one of those things and people didn't immediately move over and
0: buy it, was that difficult Mm -hmm. for you? That's a good question. The answer is not really, (laughs) because I was like, I was stoked. It was out there. And Mm. the thing that I love about type as a business is it's all your effort is cumulative, like the fact that it doesn't sell well after it comes out, um, that doesn't mean that it dies or that it, it it's taken away from you or anything like that it's just that yeah it's just not a it's not a real corporate banner for you could say perhaps yes and uh you could you get you get to learn from it yeah well uh, you just kind of move on to the next thing and honestly my emotions around it are usually like oh yeah well that yeah that that makes sense Uh so <laughs> we'll see how the next one plays out you know
2: as you say goodbye to client work i know you've recently like grown your studio a bit adding some people to help you out like what do you see is in the future for oh no and what dreams are you going to be fulfilling as you continue to the path forwards of really just being yourself and having oh no be that entity
0: yeah i don't know just prioritizing working less and hanging out with my family and and giving some time to my, uh, hobbies is pretty much the goal. I would say I want to continue putting out type, you know, I, I still love working on type, but now that our basic needs are met for the time being, it's fun to think about doing some other things that are like maybe a little bit more experimental or I don't know, someone, some musician says like, okay, one for you and one for them. You know, it's mm. Like, mm. like one one thing that's kind of gonna sell and then one thing that's going to prolong your uh, creative lifespan or whatever it is. So the thing that I'm just most focused on is sustainability of the business. I read this thing from the CEO of Gumroad, which is a like a kind of service that sells digital files for you and they're like gumroad has no full-time employees and we never have any meetings and i was like that is that is amazing like i want ono to have no full-time employees for sure that is like a hundred percent a goal i remember that being a hard lesson to learn for them too in the beginning
1: uh gumroad had a bunch of employees and had to fire them all i think
0: right and yes, then kind that of like rebooted kind of the beginning their of that
1: article. like like the ceo there was like all right we're doing this totally different this time around and how cool is that
0: like um well maybe not the firing but the, most... the other part
1: like the fact that <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah all the people that got fired are listening, <laughs> like, how like oh cool is that? sure so cool. yeah sounds real cool huh
1: <laughs> no but the fact that you know i mean You have to acknowledge that, uh, as somebody who like is running the company, I'm, I'm sure that's a very difficult thing to do. And basically it was putting a line in the sand for a human being who was like, this isn't going the way that I need it to go. I need to do it my way. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Which I guess is kind of like the thing that we keep circling back to. Um, but it's. A really really fun thing to think about like my friend was working for Pixar in uh, the section of Pixar that is only responsible for providing cool programs and education for Pixar employees Mm. so yoga and ceramics classes and that sort of thing I'm never going to work for Pixar or any company like I don't think I could ever enter the workforce (laughs) again like legitimately so I have to do those things for myself and and I Mm want to do those things for uh, my employees too now Um, I don't don't really know what that looks like yet I'm just kind of uh, getting into it Uh, the, the very beginning of me like being a boss which is so weird but yeah, I want to be a phenomenal employer. Like, that's something I think about all the time. And part of that is, like, giving your employees agency to do their job on their own and essentially not micromanaging them. I think another part of it is some sort of education. Like, I don't know what that is exactly. That's probably different for every employee. But... I would love to be able to provide that for our little team mm-hmm. that we have.
2: I know that your passion for type education has kind of been around for several years. And I feel like I even I do a lot of research when we do these interviews and I probably found an interview from when you were an undergrad. And even then you were like, Eventually I want to teach about type design, which is like pretty nuts. But like very Oh very
0: wow.
2: Exciting. And it was interesting. Olivia, I
0: think, going deep.
2: <laughs> I do. I do. You're warned. There might be other stuff that comes out during this interview. Just you wait. (laughs) Oh,
0: oh, there's there's some weird stuff out there if you dig deep enough. But let's let's save that for now. But yeah, that was always a goal. That was always something I was thinking about. And in my undergrad, I had a lot of teachers that were like phenomenal designers and really nice people, and like parents and stuff like that. But um, you know, teaching was a really important part of their practice. So I was like, okay, this is kind of the model to follow that you grow up and become a designer and, and then you also teach as part of that. Hmm. And I kind of wanted to do it without even really understanding what impact it was going to have on my professional work, but it it ended up being like a really good thing. I think it, it kind of makes you put your money where your mouth is as a designer teaching got hard though over the pandemic and to be totally straightforward like i was out like the the remote teaching thing i couldn't get the hang of and was uh, really a struggle for me so i dialed that back quite a bit and I, i'm going to be doing a little remo- remote teaching in the fall but um yeah i think everything kind of goes in phases and i might kind of move out of of that i feel pretty satisfied in the teaching department for now and it's changed a little bit now that i have an employee jamie Otelsberg, and i kind of spend a lot of time with her now just kind of going over stuff and and looking at her work and stuff so um it's really fun when teaching is a more personal thing and it's not like you just have 12 students for 10 weeks but to have one person for a long time. It's, it's all the same mechanics of teaching, exactly. you know, what we're talking about, it's just a, a longer, uh, kind of deeper relationship. So I'm super into that. And then at the polar opposite of that is like the stuff we are doing on Instagram with Ono type school and all those posts and they got ported over to our blog and then also we've compiled them all into a book now, which the book is like done. It's designed, but it just needs to be printed. So we'll get that printed, and then we will figure out some way to distribute the book right now. But I don't really want to even think about, like, (laughs) sending these things in the mail. Like, it sounds so horrible to try and do that. So my most recent idea for this is once the, the Ono Type School books are all printed, they're just little zines. They're just little newsprint zines is to just say local pickup only (laughs) figure it out so i'm gonna print i'm making a road trip to california then yeah yeah you gotta you gotta get here or get a friend here somehow and you have to come down my driveway and then knock on the door of my garage that i'm in right now and then you have to talk to me you have to like kind of say who you are and and what's going on and and then you have to pay cash also i'm wow. trying to do this like yeah not old not school. like gold doubloons not, or
1: something like we can barter
0: no no we're doing we're doing cold hard cash there's no stripe payment there's no venmo app or anything <laughs> i wanted <it> to. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do. I, I might be able to get some high school person to come help me <laughs> just kind of like fill orders and send them out in the mail. I don't know. One of, one of the two. But I I don't even really want to think. Like whenever you're working on a creative project, you're like, oh, I just want to figure out this part of it right now and worry about the other less fun part of it yeah. later or whatever. So right now I'm just like, okay, let's just figure out how to get it designed and, and printed and worry about the distribution Later, but if there's any cool distributor that wants to do that for me, I would absolutely. Uh, I would love it. I don't like dealing with the emails from customers who are like, "Hey, I ordered this three months ago, and it's <laughs> looking like it's not gonna come." Yeah. So, especially I like around refund the refund people. Yeah, totally. No, this is a nightmare. We did this scarf, this like silk scarf for DJ Steve and um, Jeremy Landis amazing designer did a killer job on the typeface and designed this beautiful polyester scarf like it's it's a a thing of beauty for sure then i had to spend two days with my dad and my brother filling these orders i'm like what the fuck am i doing with this like why am i the one doing this it makes absolutely no sense at all so gotta really rethink my merch strategy because i like doing these things i like making t-shirts and stuff like that too but i do not want to put anything in the the u.s uh postal service ever (laughs) again as long as i live
2: well it's very exciting to hear about oh no type school becoming a book i feel like you're so casual about that but like I have like six of just small zines, probably that look exactly like what you're imagining of like different designers. And I have like a little collection. I have like Nick Massani on Art Deco Letters. I have like Ade Hoeg, oh, like yeah, Bezier yeah. Method. I oh, have nice. like one from Monika May about taking like fat bottom letters. And I have like a nice, neat little zine collection. And it's like, I'm very excited to add Oh No Type School, oh, however I get that wow. <laughs> into my collection. Well, I-
0: <laughs> uh, I would I would be stoked to be in, in such good company. Um, I would love Yeah, that. those those things are are tricky to produce and I was really grateful for the help of the book designer Karina Wynn who kinda helped get this all designed and, and my nice. friend Tanya Ruposo who uh actually edited all the content and it's been this massive effort it's just not as simple as copying and pasting everything over from the instagram format yeah Uh, it's it's been a pretty uh, heavy undertaking but it is done and will be out at some point in the future i don't know and then (laughs) there's something on the cover that says like first pressing or or first printing but i I don't know if there'll ever be a second printing, <laughs> maybe there there will. I don't know. We'll I mean, we'll see if it if it's fun, we'll keep going.
2: Even like talking about how it went from an in- Instagram post to a book is like actually like pretty kind of crazy like here in a sentence, but I also think it speaks to education around type design becoming more accessible than it ever has been. And like, that's something I'm super passionate, Mike is super passionate about it. You mentioned that like, you're taking a break from teaching classes, but you're more interested in doing like one-on-one mentoring. Like teaching is such a spectrum these days. And I think we actually like learn the spectrum from like the pandemic to be like, wow, like there's some people that are thriving through remote teaching because they live maybe in areas that don't get access to education where they can just hop into a classroom mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, you know, I think like, it's interesting when we were finally seeing teaching really being, okay, you can make a book. You can, you know, tell people on Instagram what your tips and tricks are. And that's still part of the education in type design today. And I still think it's, like, connecting you to a global audience. I mean, Oh No Type School got translated into Spanish, I believe. So, like, that is even a whole new step that would never have happened.
0: And Portuguese wow. and Russian. Yeah, all, all three. I was really... It was a, a lot of people who helped out with that and uh, it was it was amazing to see that that anyone cared and, and decided to actively like, take that responsibility on themselves you know so i
2: mean it's like it's really exciting to see and you know i think every day everyone's learning about type design industries happening in a more global perspective which i think is like opening all of our eyes up and we're in like a very exciting moment for type design how do you imagine the industry moving forward like in this moment right now and like what do you hope to see and and then like where do you think we're gonna go
0: yeah i i uh, i think you're totally right. There's more education than ever. There's more resources. The software is better than it ever has been. The internet is better at connecting people than it ever has been. There are things like this podcast, you know, or all these things kind of loosely tied to it that are all kind of making up this like type community online, which is great and brand new. So I think we're just going to see more of that happening. I think fonts are like wine or or like music or or craft beer or whatever kind of metaphor you want to use where there'll always be a surplus of them, you know? Just like there's a a surplus of of music to listen to, but hopefully with the increase in education that'll that'll be, lead to a surplus of really great quality things. That's my hope is that no matter who you are, what your taste is, or what vibe you're trying to achieve in a project, there is something out there that's perfect for you and will really suit the project well. So then there will always be customers or designers that are going for... Um, the Bud Lights or the Michelob Ultras of the world or whatever uh, you kind of have in mind. And then there will be people that are seeking out the really interesting, brand new, like crazy <laughs> sours or whatever. For if, if we're talking beer analogy. Sorry, I'm bouncing between <laughs> like four different analogies here. But we see this like increase in variety in everything now. There's just so many types of everything. And it's not like that's going to then go the other way. It can't go the other. Like the pendulum can't swing back now. The only path forward that I see is just this beautiful blossoming of all of these different things happening all over the world, some of which are are great and interesting and unique and push the landscape forward. And plenty of which that are the tried and true. And then plenty of just like oddball, amateur things that aren't maybe as useful or whatever, but are are still kind of part of it, you know? So it's just the only trend that I see is just more of everything. And it's easy to be pessimistic about that, I think. and, And to say essentially like, oh, that means we have to sift through all this stuff really. And, and the truth is, I think you do, you know, you kind of have to weed out a lot of noise to get to the thing that you're searching for as a designer, which is hard. But it's always been hard. It's that's kind of been the thing. And I don't think designers want to go back to a time when the choices were really, really limited. I think they're all all designers are poised to become Mm. really good connoisseurs of type, if they want to be. And if they don't want to be, then they can just uh, go for the the Michelob Ultra.
2: Mic drop (laughs) right there. So I really wanted to talk about this. And I saw your 2019 typographics talk. And you mentioned kind of your, I'd say like juice cleanse version of like Instagram cleanse of going off social media for a little bit I think was like 30 days Mm. and like spending the two hours or so that you would spend on Instagram every day doing something else and like How that And and that's so crazy because I'm sure a lot of us have numbers similar to that on any sort of social media. And, like, we just don't think about it because it's just, like, part of our lives. And then there's the whole Mm -hmm. aspect of, like, emerging designers or even not emerging designers feel the pressure to be on social media, to, like, get connected with people, and to, like, keep on showing that they're doing work. So what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to, like, you know get on instagram and get on twitter and make sure that like we're constantly you know part of the conversation but then how do we do that without totally getting sucked into everything else that exists it seems like you've kind of made some revelations from your experience i think like everyone can benefit from like this conversation and i'm curious what your experience was like kind of getting off social media and like what advice you'd kind of give and like what your relationship looks like now
0: well i'm glad you've given me an opportunity to talk about this and come clean about what an absolute hypocrite i am completely so at that time in 2019 i was on one i was like i've found the secret and it's just this it was this book by cal newport digital minimalism that i got really into and um got off Instagram for a month did the 30 days and I was like oh my god I feel so much better I'm just going to keep this going and so I did and um, then it it slowly started creeping back and now fast forward two years I guess I'm just worse (laughs) than ever I'm such a pathetic addict that is just 100% at the mercy of this Uh, tech giant and and how they want to uh, manipulate the chemicals in my brain so it it is great to try I do recommend it to everyone to see if you can go 30 days without it and see how you feel Uh, it's not that simple really the the book recommends doing this detox thing this like it's not a social media detox it's a digital like it's a Huge shift. So I, during that time, I only used my phone for maps, wow. and um, that was it. So it is basically just like a super expensive GPS. And yeah, I I felt less anxiety. I felt a lot more productive. I felt like there were more hours in the day, and it was a good thing. So the question is why? Why would I go back from that? And um, the answer is I think there are great things that social media delivers us. It's the platform, Instagram is the platform where I focus most of our energy and our marketing dollars, you know? It's more like marketing time. I'm not buying ads on Instagram. or I've experimented with that, like with like Mm. 400 bucks or something. It did not work at all for us. But um, I, I, of course, am putting a ton of time into it. And having an audience on Instagram, I think does help us. The question is, do you have to do that? Like, is that the path for everyone? I think it totally, totally is not. Like, you know this, like having a newsletter is really powerful, I think. And and having a a, a big newsletter list, putting them out kind of regularly or whatever that can drive traffic to a website so much better than social media can like instagram is terrible at at driving traffic but it's really good for just Mm. general awareness i think we've benefited from it but maybe we would have benefited more if i had taken that time and put it into some other channel but for for people that want to dabble in this is to just have a service there's a couple of services I've used one called Sked, which is kind of like expensive, but probably saves me money to some degree where you're just posting from an online kind of portal on the desktop and you don't even need to have the app on your phone at all. You can't like reply to comments or other things like that, but the idea is to remove yourself from the app, you know. And I've talked to the calligrapher Vincent DeBauer about this, and and he's used the same thing. He's, like, definitely on board with that. So, yeah, there's there's little tricks you can do. Not having the app on your phone really only gets you so far. I delete the app every weekend. Me and my wife do together to just hang out with our family. And I'll notice myself (laughs) going to Instagram.com on the browser like a fucking addict, you know? And it's so... It's so humiliating, but uh it is an addiction. Do you also reinstall it every Monday? like oh yeah, I mean that takes ten seconds it's it, it like it remembers all your data and stuff. It's no big deal to delete the app and reinstall it. I do that extremely frequently, and I also use things like site blocker yeah. on on my desktop computer to keep myself off Twitter or whatever but all the all this stuff is yeah. just a um, a war with distraction, liberating yourself from it can make a huge, huge difference. Um, so I, I think everyone should give it a shot.
1: It's also useful to hear though, that like, you believe it doesn't have, like, it's not the only way forward, you know, that it's possible to have other ways to get your name out there and find clients and, you know, share what you're doing. Like there,
0: there are options for people. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think Instagram is just the probably <laughs> like, it's the most obvious thing. It's, it's the answer that everyone kind of goes to. So you could just think about what your business is and, and who your clients are, who your customers are and like, where do they hang out? They might hang out on Instagram. They might hang out with in, in real life places, or you might be able to create some newsletter that's actually delivering content and stuff like that, but. More and more, I'm wishing that my following was mostly in a newsletter because that's so much more valuable and so much easier to control. So one thing that we did that was, I think it was a good move for us, I'm, Not a hundred percent sure, but we made a newsletter subscription mandatory to download the demo fonts on our website. So that was kind of like a moral gray area for me. I wasn't really sure how I felt about that because I can't say that our demo fonts are free. Like they cost something. It just costs a, a subscription to our newsletter subjecting yourself to some ono oh advertising that happens like once every three months or whatever. But the wow. result is our newsletter is like 15,000 subscribers or something. And that's the only place that I have it advertised. Only way to, to sign up for it is just on our demo fonts page. So now that list is full of 15,000 people that are maybe interested in our typefaces, we could possibly assume that, but. It's also 15,000 people that um, have chosen to download something for free and not pay, you know, so maybe I'm just advertising to people that aren't, aren't going to buy anything anyhow. But I, I notice when I put out a new typeface or something, I always do Twitter stuff, Instagram stuff, newsletter stuff, all in the first day that it comes out and the bulk of the traffic is coming from the newsletter. So. Yeah, that's my font marketing spiel on newsletters. But let me know if you want to talk more about that stuff.
2: No, it's good to know. Um, I think like a lot of, I love that you were saying like Instagram, just like the not creative way to.
0: Not to knock it or anything.
2: It's the easiest path forward for a lot of people. And I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Sometimes like that is necessary too. If. Maybe you're starting out as a designer and you don't know where to begin looking. Um, I think, although like a lot of us, even in the industry for several years, whether that's design or typography, we might find new people from uh, Twitter or Instagram. Is there any other place that like you go to find kind of new inspiration of new designers or foundries or studios that are doing cool stuff? No,
0: n- not not really. <laughs> <laughs> I would say just no. What if what if I just <laughs> Answer to the single word. No. Next question. <laughs>
2: I mean <laughs> that's my answer too. No, I, but I, I need to see if there is anything. No,
0: absolutely it's a valid question. I just don't I'm so filled up on input right now. Like I'm at my max. I, I don't I don't feel like I need to see anything new, which is crazy. Like I'm sure there's artists or, or other designers listening who are thinking, I will never tire of assuming more visual information, but personally, I feel like a little bit filled right now. And the, the places I am kind of going mm-hmm. for that is just like my little hobbies, you know, making things and, and doing crafts and, and drawing. I get so much mm-hmm. more inspiration from doing something, looking at something. So I'm not a collector of type specimens either, which is another kind of anti-establishment maybe type. Like it's it's very common to be the type designer who's <laughs> constantly growing this amazing specimen library of all these things through hundreds of years. You know, a lot of the, the really good type designers have that stuff. I don't have really any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I have a handful of books that, to tell you the truth, I don't even mm-hmm. open that often because I would rather be making something even if the thing that I'm making is not remotely graphic design it's just form or shape or like I, I'm always growing my shape library like you talked about another word that I say in my head all the time but don't say out loud very much is shape library it sounds like a palette in illustrator but in the way I think about it, it's just like the sort of shapes that I'm drawn to or sort of lines or contours that i like Mm -hmm. that somehow end up in typefaces or or whatever i think looking in a type specimen i get the inclination to just repeat the stuff that's already been done which is valuable and 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 valid as well but it's not the most Mm -hmm. thrilling thing for me
2: yeah i read that you were given calligraphy pens At a somewhat early age. And I also remember, like, when I was first studying graphic design, I thought, like, calligraphy was a thing, like, everyone in graphic design did, and learned that, like, it's not a thing that everyone in graphic design did, and it's, like, not as cool as I always made it up to be. And, like, I really enjoy calligraphy as a way to just, like, take me out of the screen, take me into, like, something that I can enjoy. And I know it's still, like, graphic and type design related, but do you still have a calligraphy practice of your own?
0: First of all, I think calligraphy is the coolest thing in the world. Like, when I I was 14 and I got those pens and kind of understood how a, a broad nib moves around a page and contrast is created. It was a magical experience and that never really goes away. You know, recently I've been getting more into the flat brush, which is in a way mm-hmm. like a broad nib on steroids because you can rotate it and take away pressure. Which So there's like three different axes of things changing and, and, and modulating contrast mm-hmm. in such a cool way. And it's really just, it comes from me being obsessed with Jen Ramirez and Vincent de Bauer and Julian Prias and a couple of other just legit, calligraphers you know so I'm Mm -hmm. I'm nowhere Mm -hmm. near that level but it is meditative and relaxing for me I was interviewing my buddy Rob Stenson on my podcast and he was talking about how he was watching the Jen Ramirez kind of demo or workshop and Jen was saying like oh yeah you can do this and just sort of zone out and like put on some music and and just kind of meditate and, and do this. And Rob's response to that was like, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> it is so hard and there's so many forces at war yeah. in my mind while I'm trying to do that. Calligraphy is not that for him. Mm-hmm. So I, I get how mm-hmm. newcomers mm-hmm. could just be so put off by uh, how hard it is. But I love, yeah. I love that you just do it and it's done. Right? It's just like immediate. And then you trash it. There's something really liberating about that. Calligraphy things that I hate doing are like when someone asks me to put names on a diploma or something. Like I'm not good enough to do that, Mm. first of all. I can't ever get the fucking name centered on the diploma, you know, even if I do it beforehand (laughs) and try and line it up and stuff. Like it's so hard. So I'm not a calligrapher, but that act of creating is super super fun and really inspiring for me something I I do as a hobby you know that then informs the type yeah
2: that's so great to hear and to like nerd out with a fellow calligrapher that's not capital c calligrapher I guess because that's like how it's portrayed in so many ways I know like I think I've I also love like making calligraphy that's based on type which is like also not like what you're supposed to do. I think I've worked with like hobo before and see how I can like recreate that <laughs> with like a brush like a brush pen and I know uh sharp type has that really beautiful black letter that perhaps just perhaps it's not oh, respira. yes respira black oh my god I and like just like learning how to do those by like making marks on your paper it's like I just highly recommend for people that are staring at computers all day (laughs) to see what they can do. Yeah,
0: then go back to the computer so much easier after you've done that for a half an hour.
2: Right, right. All right. I have one last question because I know we could like literally talk until the end of the time. But I don't know if our listeners will really <laughs> appreciate that. So I'm curious, and I think people that listen to the podcast are curious, who's a person or a group of people or studio um, working right now in the letter form world that you admire and just like want to give a shout out because they're making really awesome stuff or doing cool things for the industry?
0: Oh, gosh, that's so hard because there are many 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 people in this way. I would first of all say everyone that's viewed on the on my podcast so far, that's exactly the crowd that I'm trying to get and then for maybe my one of my favorite type designers right now is Daria Petrova who's creating uh, amazing stuff on Future Fonts is where you can cool. get her stuff. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much. Well, James, this was incredible. Really appreciate you hey, coming on. Hey, thank you so here. much.
0: Thank you for having me. It was a total joy to talk to you both. Yeah, I appreciate it. The questions were good. I got to give it Olivia, well done. <laughs> they were thought you did the research and everything. Uh, as a fellow podcaster, I know how much work all that is. So, appreciate it a lot.
2: Well, thank you very much. You gave really impressive answers that are just like full of so much insight and like really appreciate your transparency that you had on here, but like also on your own podcast. I know that might come a little bit more as default to you, but like does seem really valuable to like people that are still learning out there and, you know, kind of want to see how you've uh, done what you've done, which is like very exciting. So, to everyone out there, cool. if you want to follow James, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at onotypeco. His website is onotype.co, and there you can also sign up for his newsletter, which hey, not a bad idea now that we talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. Till next time. Thank you both.